Thank you so much, worship team. And uh, Chaz, if you would for a second, I want you to stay up here on stage with me. Um, we are so blessed to have Chaz here as our worship director, and we got such a great team that uh, serve and minister with her. Thank you for being awesome. So, hey, I need to share some uh, some tough news this morning. I mean, it, it's 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 good news, but it's tough news because. I love Chaz so much as a friend and a partner in ministry. Uh, earlier this summer, Chaz uh, came to myself and our elder board and uh, shared with us that this coming ministry year would be her last year serving in her role as, uh, as our worship director. Uh, she feels like the Lord is leading her into a, a new chapter in her life, and, and so uh, she has uh, committed to staying with us through the end of this school year. And uh, we're very thankful for that, and we're going to be incredibly blessed with every Sunday morning over the next, you know, nine, ten months that we have with Chaz. And uh, I'm just so thankful for the way that God has used her here in our church over the years. Uh, I know how much uh, we love her and appreciate her. And so I just wanted to share that news with you as our church family so that you can extend your love and appreciation to Chaz, not only today, but in the coming weeks and months that she's with us. But, uh, but also that we can just thank the Lord uh, as we come together over this next year, worshiping every Sunday, uh, thanking him for giving us the blessing of, of Chaz and her leadership over our time of worship every Sunday morning and, and the many other ways that she blesses uh, our church family. And so, uh, so we're uh, at this point, we're not going to be making any formal decisions about next steps beyond Chaz until uh, our annual business meeting that takes place at the end of October. But uh, we're just, you know, we appreciate Chaz sharing, you know, plenty of notice with us on this. And uh, Chaz, we love you. We thank you. We appreciate you. And uh, we're looking forward to a great year worshiping with you. So would you just please uh, extend another uh, round of appreciation, Chaz? I know Chaz was very reluctant for me to put her on the spot like that this morning, but uh, you know I wanted to just share that with our church family. This summer, I've been reading uh, a number of books. I was uh, on sabbatical, as you know, during the month of July, and, and I, I like to read in general anyway, but one of the books that I read this summer that I found very, uh, very interesting, a fascinating book uh, by Rod Dreher titled Live Not by Lies, A Manual for Christian Dissidents. And uh, the title of this book comes from a title from an essay written by uh, the famous Soviet dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He once wrote an essay titled Live Not By Lies, and uh, if you know, Solzhenitsyn had a huge influence uh, in contributing to the ultimate downfall of the Soviet Union. Uh, in fact, won a Nobel Peace Prize for his work. And anyway, uh, in this book, Dreyer chronicles the stories of dozens of Christians who lived through and, and survived the oppression of the Soviet Union, uh, whether in Russia or Poland or Czechoslovakia, Hungary, tells the story of numerous Christians and how they survived those tumultuous years, those difficult years, where they were regularly forced uh, into, you know, uh, uh, submitting to the will of the authoritarian state. Uh, some even going to prison, some even being tortured, some even uh, losing, losing their very lives. There was a section in this book that I found very interesting as he chronicled the stories of these Christian dissidents. He says this, 
Not every anti-communist dissident was a Christian. And not every Christian living under communist totalitarianism resisted. But here's an interesting thing. Every single Christian I interviewed for this book in every ex-communist country conveyed a deep sense of inner peace. A peace that they credit to their faith which gave them ground on which to stand firm. One of the things I found most fascinating in reading the testimonies of these various Christians highlighted in this book was the reality that time and time again they pointed to their faith in Jesus Christ as the thing that sustained them in the midst of the incredible trials that they were facing. Whether imprisonment or torture or other forms of punishment or just the oppressiveness of the society they were living in, it was Jesus repeatedly who they pointed to as the one who gave them a sense of deep and meaningful peace, no matter the trials that they were facing. And you know, as I was thinking about the peace that they conveyed in their stories, I started thinking about our own experience. And, you know, we are privileged to, to live in a very different kind of society today. We don't experience those same types of trials that, that many of our Soviet dissident brothers and sisters faced years ago. But we all know the reality of struggle. We all know the reality of anxiety and stress, and, and wrestling with the reality of trials in life, and pain in life, and heartbreak in life. And one of the things I began to reflect on as I was reading the stories, these stories in this book was what if we truly held on to Jesus in the very same way? What if we looked to Jesus, the resurrected Savior and King, as our source of peace, our source of hope, our source of confidence, no matter what we find ourselves going through in life. You know, friends, would you like that kind of peace in your life today? That kind of peace that no matter your circumstances, no matter your trials, no matter your tribulations, a confident sense of peace and assurance. And I'm going to tell you this morning that that peace is available to you. That kind of peace is available to every single one of us here today when we too look to Jesus Christ, the risen Savior and Lord. Jesus Christ in Scripture is called the Prince of Peace. And he's proven that true time and time again. This morning, as we continue on in the Gospel of John, we're going to continue on in the, the resurrection accounts that John shares with us. Jesus has gone to the cross. He was crucified. He was entombed for three days and as we saw last week Jesus Christ conquered the grave and triumphantly rose from the dead and it's because we serve a living savior that we can be a people of hope a people who know real peace in life because our God lives today our God reigns today our God is sovereign today we don't worship stories and myths we worship a living savior and that's the source of our peace. 
Well, this morning we're going to continue on in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. We're going to continue to look at the record that John shares with us about the days following Jesus' resurrection and what took place. And we're going to see very uniquely in this passage this morning three ways in which our resurrected Lord gives us that deep sense of peace, no matter the trials or circumstances we face. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, now you may remember Jesus has just been risen from the grave. That morning, Mary Magdalene finds his tomb empty. Peter and John go running to the tomb. They see the grave clothes still there in the tomb. Jesus appears to Mary. Later that day, one of the other Gospels tells us that Jesus appeared to two other disciples on the road to Emmaus. And so now these disciples who are hiding in this room, remember their Lord has just been arrested and beaten and crucified. If they arrested Jesus, who's probably next? Well, they're probably going to come looking for us and so the disciples are hiding away in this room it's one day the day of the resurrection they're starting to hear these accounts that they at the time probably thought were crazy right mary jesus is alive okay these two disciples show up no we saw jesus too right they're they're uncertain they're unsure they're fearful they don't know what's going on and now john tells us on the evening of that day the first day of the week sunday the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you will withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side. Remember, that's where the spear was thrust into Jesus, right? Unless I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And now John says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Man, this is one of the greatest passages in the whole Bible. 
right? The, the resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ to his followers and how those appearances of our risen Savior and King literally changed everything. Changed everything, not only for those individuals, but literally for the rest of human history. Because Jesus is alive. Well, friends, this morning I want to focus specifically on those three declarations that Jesus shares throughout our passage. Did you notice those statements that Jesus repeated three times in our passage this morning? He told his disciples, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Friends, there was something significant about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the peace that comes as a result of that event. And this morning, I want to focus on the peace that we can find in our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to see three ways in which we experience peace through Jesus Christ this morning. Number one, the resurrected Lord gives us peace in his presence. We experience peace in the presence of our resurrected Savior and King. In the opening verses of our passage this morning, verses 19 and 20, Jesus appears miraculously in the midst of the disciples in this locked room. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about Jesus' resurrected body and how it was both a physical body, it was really Jesus risen from the grave, but, but there were differences to Jesus' body. It had been glorified. It was now a glorious body and had different abilities, capabilities. And so here is Jesus. It was really him, but he appeared in the midst of his disciples. And the very first words he says to them our peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, friends, we need to understand this morning, this was more than just a simple greeting. This was more than just a, a hello or, hey, great to see you guys. When Jesus says, peace be with you, in this opening declaration, he was conveying to his disciples, <clears throat> excuse me, that peace was now literally present in their midst peace be with you peace was now there present in their midst how so well it's because friends true peace true peace is only found in the person of jesus christ and so jesus says to his disciples peace be with you peace was there in their midst the word that John uses for peace in his translation uh, of John's gospel, the word there in the Greek is erene, erene. And it, it's the Greek word for peace, and it conveys this sense of tranquility and harmony and rest. Erene, it's where we get our English word irenic from, right? So, so you might describe a peaceful setting as, as an irenic setting. I remember when Kim and I were in Colorado earlier this summer hiking, we came across this, this beautiful mountain meadow. I mean, we were the only ones out there miles away from any other person, and it was just this beautiful mountain meadow with this little stream going through and, you know, mountains all around us, and it was just peaceful and tranquilic, and you would say that, that that's such an irenic scene, a scene of peace and tranquility. But friends, Jesus here, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus intended far more here than, than just the peaceful tranquility of a mountain meadow. 
The the peace that Jesus was conveying went far beyond that. The peace that Jesus was talking about was the Old Testament kind of peace. The, The word in Hebrew is shalom. And this kind of peace could be described as the peace of the Lord. It's a special peace that only comes from living life in harmony with God. And this kind of peace, this shalom, it speaks to wholeness and fullness and well-being and prosperity and blessing. And, And it's the kind of peace that's only possible when we live our lives in fellowship with God. And this kind of peace, this shalom, this concept is found all throughout the Old Testament. It's spoken of throughout the Old Testament by the prophets, by others, as as God's people long for his peace. But we discover the ideal vision of shalom right at the outset of the Old Testament. All the way back in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve experienced the perfect shalom of God. The perfect peace of God. Peace with God. Peace with one another peace with the world around them. It it was the ideal setting, and it was the way that God created and desires us to live in harmony with him and with one another and with the world. It was an experience of true shalom, true wholeness, true well-being, true fullness. Everything you could desire was experienced in the peace, the shalom of God. But of course, as we know, friends, shalom was lost when Adam rebelled against God. When Adam chose to to ignore God's will and he rebelled against God, sin came into the world and the world was cursed with the burden of sin. And, And from that point forward, this world has been broken and all of human history since the time of Adam has been a search by men and women to recover the peace that was lost. When Adam rebelled against God. And friends, this is why Jesus Christ came into the world. This is why what we saw weeks ago when we saw Jesus on the cross of Calvary, why that event was so, <coughs> so significant. It was on the cross of Calvary that Jesus restored the possibility of shalom with God for the world. That's why when Jesus declared, it is finished, what he was saying there is that the curse of Adam has been broken. That reconciliation with God has been made possible again through him. That that the guilt and the burden and the shame that we feel because of our rebellion against God has been lifted and our sins have been washed and cleansed and forgiven by the blood of Christ. And now we can come back into a right relationship with our creator God. We can begin even here and now to once again experience God's shalom, his perfect peace through Jesus Christ. This is what the prophet Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus. The shalom of God would be restored in the Messiah. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us, what? 
peace, shalom with God. It was through the obedience of Christ that the rebellion of Adam was transformed. What Adam brought into the world through his rebellion against God, Jesus restored through his obedience to God. Jesus brought to each and every one of us the opportunity to experience God's perfect shalom. It's only found, friends, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we acknowledge our sin and we accept the gift that he gave us by dying for us on the cross, as the prophet Isaiah says, we too can experience God's perfect peace. True peace, true shalom is only found in Jesus. It, it reminds me of the bumper sticker I saw recently. I was driving along. It's, it's amazing how profound bumper stickers can be sometimes. I was driving and I came to an intersection and the car in front of me had this short bumper sticker. It said, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Very true words, friends. Without Jesus Christ in your life, you will never know true peace. But if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you too can know the shalom of God. This is what John referred to all the way back. Caleb, Caleb Genheim, our, our, our video producer this morning, reminded me, today is the 40th message in our series in the Gospel of John. Isn't that amazing? 40 messages in John so far this year. All the way back in week one, in John chapter one, verse four, John tells us this, in him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. What's the life that John is referring to there? He's talking about the shalom that comes from a relationship with God, Jesus Christ. The shalom of God. The life of God. It's found in Jesus Christ. And look in our passage here this morning, friends. We see the fruit of this peace that Jesus offers immediately in the response of the disciples. Look at verse 20. So Jesus stands in their midst. He says, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, friends, that translation, I, I, I love the ESV translation. It's an excellent translation, but this translation of the word glad just, just doesn't quite do it justice. The, the word there really should be translated overjoyed. You know, when I go to the dentist and he tells me I don't have any cavities, I'm glad, right? When I go to the oncologist with my wife and they say we can't detect any cancer, I'm overjoyed. There's a very, very big difference in those two concepts. When Jesus appeared in the midst of his disciples and they saw him in their presence, they looked upon him, the disciples were overjoyed. Friends, understand this. It was Jesus' presence and looking upon Jesus that changed everything for them. And this is so important for us to recognize. Gladness, friends, true peace, true joy, a life of abundant joy is only found when we live in the presence of Jesus and gaze upon him. And I find in my own life so often instead of gazing at Jesus, I end up glancing at Jesus and then I start looking at all the trials and problems and tribulations in my life, right? I, I, I know Jesus is there. I give him a quick glance, but I look at the checkbook and I look at the bills and I look at the stress and I look at my kids' stress and my wife's and all this, you know, 
And pretty soon, glancing at Jesus, it doesn't give me the peace. Because I'm gazing at everything else and glancing at Jesus. But the disciples show us here, friends, that true peace is found in the presence of Jesus as we gaze upon him. And that is what led to their experience of gladness and being overjoyed. Friends, this isn't anything new. This is is a concept that's found throughout God's word. King David, all the way back in the Old Testament, Psalm 27, verse 4. King David was a guy who understood the source of shalom and gladness. Look at what King David says. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Look at I want to be in his presence, but not just in his presence. Here's what I want to do in his presence. I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. See, David understood that it was living in the presence of God and gazing upon him that led to the sense of true shalom in life, true peace in life, true joy in life. And this became the priority of David's heart. This was his prayer. Lord, this is is the one thing I ask. This is the one thing I seek. I want to dwell in your presence and gaze upon your beauty. Friends, what a great example for us to follow in our lives. Are you looking for peace today? Are you longing for this kind of peace in your own life? It's only found, friends, when we dwell in the presence of Jesus Christ and fix our eyes firmly upon him. And then you too can experience the peace that comes from our resurrected Lord. Now, the second thing we discover in our passage this morning, the resurrected Lord gives us peace as our purpose. Peace as our purpose. Now in verses 21 through 23, immediately after declaring the reality of his shalom to his disciples, right? Peace be with you. Peace is now there, present in their midst. But immediately after declaring the reality of his shalom, Jesus once again says to his disciples, peace be with you. And here in this second declaration, what we find is Jesus commissioning his followers to be agents of God's shalom. Peace be with you. This was a commissioning. You are now going to be the agents of God's shalom. In other words, Jesus is saying it is going to be you, my followers, and us, the church, that would continue the work of advancing and declaring the good news of peace with God to the world. Friends, this is our purpose. This is what God has called us to. This is the mission Jesus has given us. You are now agents of God's shalom. Your life now is about sharing the good news that shalom is possible, true peace is possible when your life is reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. This is now our purpose. How do we know this? Well, friends, look what Jesus says next in verse 21. Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So understand what Jesus is saying here, friends. God sent Jesus to bring his shalom to the world. And now Jesus sends us to continue that work. That's our mission. 
As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. But friends, I want you to think about this this morning. We need to understand what this means for each of us. These, these, verses, this, these words here in verse 21, this is a radical calling. When Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. What, what Jesus is saying here, friends, these are some of the most challenging words in the whole Bible. Make no mistake about it. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Remember, friends, how did the Father send Jesus? The Father sent Jesus in humility as a servant to lay down his life for others. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Chuck Colson once described the life of Jesus Christ like this. He says, Jesus Christ served others first. He spoke to those whom no one spoke. He dined with the lowest members of society. He touched the untouchable. He had no throne, no crown, no bevy of servants or armored guards, a borrowed manger, and a borrowed tomb framed his earthly life. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Friends, please understand something this morning. To be an agent of God's shalom is to embrace a radical, countercultural type of life. To be an agent of God's shalom, to follow Jesus' commission to go into all the world and carry God's peace into the world, is to reorient your priorities. It's to reorient the way you spend your time. It's to reorient the way you spend your money. It completely reorients everything about who we are and centers those things upon the person of Jesus Christ and fulfilling the mission that he's given us. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. As the famous 20th century theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once put it, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Friends, do you understand what Jesus has called us to? Do you understand why Jesus said his way is the narrow way? This is a radical calling. It's a life-changing calling. It transforms everything. Jesus calls us to die to self and live for the glory of God. Please understand, friends, the way of Jesus Christ is not the way of the world, but it is the way of peace. And when you've experienced God's peace, you quickly recognize that there's nothing greater to live for than sharing that peace with others. Amen? Amen. Now, if the Lord's calling here in verse 21 is challenging, then these next words from Jesus should be nothing less than exhilarating. Look what Jesus goes on and says in verse 22. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Friends, are these not some of the greatest verses, greatest words in the whole Bible? Receive the Holy Spirit. 
Here, here we find Jesus' earlier promises from chapters 14 and 16 fulfilled. Remember, Jesus says, look, it's going to be better for you when I go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send one who's going to come alongside of you, a helper, a counselor, a, a truth giver. The Holy Spirit is going to come and live within you and empower you to do the work that I've called you to do. Now, this here, friends, this, this breathing of the Spirit upon the disciples, this was a pre-Pentecost special anointing of the Holy Spirit given by Jesus to his disciples. If you remember, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell upon the entire church. And, and so today, every single one of us who puts our trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we too receive this very same promise of the Holy Spirit who comes and lives within us when we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And that Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and empowers us and leads us and guides us and allows us <coughs> to have the ability to carry out the work of living as agents of God's shalom in this world. Friends, understand this this morning. Jesus doesn't give us this calling and then not empower us to fulfill it. Jesus doesn't just come alongside us and say, you know, pat us on the back and says, hey, all right, good luck, go get them. No, Jesus says, look, I am sending you just as the Father sent me. This is a radical calling. It's a countercultural calling. It's going to change everything in your life. But here's the thing. When I call you to this, I will empower you with my very presence. The Holy Spirit will live within you, indwelling you, allowing you to do the work that I've called you to do, friends. This is why in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, in the great commission that Matthew gives at the end of his gospel, the very last words of Jesus to his disciples are these, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Friends, do you believe that promise? Have you experienced that promise for yourself? The reality of God's presence in your life? The one who never leaves us, who never forsakes us? It's real. It's available to every single one of us who puts our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Live in that promise. Live in the recognition that the indwelling presence of God is inside of you, empowering you to live out the calling that Jesus has given us. And when you understand that, it should encourage you to then step out in faith and say, Lord, how would you use me? How would you use me to, to live my life as an agent of your shalom in the world? Maybe God is calling you even this morning as you read this passage and you hear this message and maybe the Holy Spirit's impressing on your heart. Look at, I want to use you in an incredible way, as an agent of my shalom. And, and there's a person in your life that God right now is putting on your heart and saying, look, it, you're going to be my agent of shalom to that person. You're going to be the one who goes and shares with them the possibility of reconciliation with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And in that, you're going to help that person too experience God's shalom. 
Maybe, maybe God's calling you to, to get involved in, in serving in the mission of our church with us here. Maybe volunteering in one of these roles that we have and, and the calling that God has given us as a church, right? Maybe it's working with children or students or in our adult ministries, right, or in our worship ministries. All of this, friends, is about working together as agents of God's shalom in the world. This is what he's called us to. This is what he's empowered us for. And by the way, that's what this, this curious statement in verse 23 is all about. There's this, there's this really interesting statement. Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now friends, understand this. No human being has the authority to grant forgiveness. And we never see the apostles anywhere in the book of Acts or the New Testament granting forgiveness to anyone under their own authority. We never see the apostles passing down this authority to, to, to their successors. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is talking about here is simply this. As we proclaim the possibility of peace with God, God then gives us the privilege of confirming the reality of that transformation in a person's life when they embrace that message by faith. In other words, when we share that shalom is possible through, the, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, when somebody embraces that message, we can confidently say to them, your sins are forgiven. Not because of anything I've said, but because of the message I've shared with you and your hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And if anybody should reject that message, we can equally say to them with confidence, your sins are still with you. You're not forgiven. This isn't by man's authority. This is by God's authority. We've got three white roses on the stage this morning. This past week, we heard from one of our family members here at Lakes Free who, who shared, with us, shared with us that they had the privilege of leading three individuals to Jesus Christ recently. I mean, how cool is that? But you know something? If those individuals were here this morning, I could confidently declare to them, your sins are forgiven. That, that's not on my authority. That's on Jesus' authority. I, I'm not forgiving them. The disciples were not forgiving anyone. It's Jesus who forgives us when we trust in his message and we experience his shalom through the shed blood of Christ applied to us. And anyone who embraces that truth, we as his people, as Jesus' people, can confidently say to them, your sins are forgiven because of Jesus Christ. So our resurrected Lord, friends, he, he gives us peace in his presence. He gives us peace as our purpose. Lastly, this morning, we see our resurrected Lord gives us peace through his proofs. Verses 24 through 31, Jesus, one last time, says to his disciples, peace be with you. Eight days later, Jesus shows up again. Thomas has been doubting this whole time, right? He's the only one of the inner circle who hasn't seen the risen Lord. All the other disciples saw Jesus. They've been telling Thomas for the whole last week, no, I'm serious, we saw him. He was here. We saw the wounds. We saw his side. He's alive. And Thomas is like, all right, whatever, guys. I mean, like, honestly, that's kind of what you would expect, right? And Thomas says, look, until I see the nail marks and put my fingers in them and put my hand in his side, I, I won't believe. And eight days later, Jesus shows up again and he declares, peace be with you. 
And here, in this final declaration of peace, Jesus would go on to reveal the evidence that verifies his claim to being the source of God's shalom. He would reveal the proof that Thomas needed to see the reality of God's shalom is available in Jesus Christ. Jesus shows up to Thomas and says, Thomas, peace be with you. Check out the wounds in my hand. Check out where the spear was thrust through my side. And Thomas examines the resurrected Jesus and sees that it's him. He's alive. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Thomas believed. Friends, I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful for Jesus' response here to Thomas's skepticism. Right? I mean, how many people in our world today are skeptical of Christianity and even critical or cynical. I, I've been there myself, right? But how does Jesus respond to Thomas's skepticism? He doesn't berate Thomas. He doesn't belittle Thomas. Thomas, how, how dare you not believe, right? No, what does Jesus do? Jesus appears to Thomas, and the very first thing he does is offer him a declaration of peace, an offer of God's shalom, and then he proves himself alive to Thomas. Peace be with you. Now, Thomas, come and see the proof that I'm alive. And I just think this is such a great model for us as we proclaim the good news to a world that, like Thomas, is so often skeptical and critical and cynical. Peter, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3.15, he, he gives us the Christian model of apologetics and evangelism. He, he says here in this famous verse, he says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter says, look, be ready with answers. Give a response. That's why we do things here at Lakes Free like our apologetics conference, which, by the way, is coming up February 25th through 27th this next year. We're doing our apologetics conference again. Why? Because we want to equip you with answers, reasons to believe that Jesus truly is the living, resurrected king. But Peter says to do that, give those answers with gentleness and respect. Now, where did Peter learn this model? He learned it from Jesus. He saw it lived out by Jesus with Thomas. He saw Jesus come alongside Thomas, and instead of belittling him for his skepticism, he saw Jesus say, Thomas, shalom, peace be with you. And now, Thomas, let me show you the proof that I'm really alive. And so here in Jesus' encounter with Thomas, we see this balance of God's love alongside of his provision of reasons to believe. And through these two realities working hand in hand and the power of the Holy Spirit moving upon Thomas's heart, Thomas is compelled to say, my Lord and my God. And by the way, friends, you want to know what happened to Thomas? Church tradition and history tells us, and, and there's very good evidence to support this, that Thomas would ultimately go as a missionary to India, where he would plant the first Christian church in India. And he would even travel into China as a missionary. And Thomas would ultimately be killed 
speared to death by an Indian king. And you know something to this very day? There are still Christians in India who trace their spiritual lineage back to the Apostle Thomas. What would compel a skeptic like Thomas to travel to the ends of the earth and risk his life, ultimately being speared to death, proclaiming that Jesus is alive? What explains that kind of transformation, friends? I think the only thing that explains it is the reality that Thomas saw the Lord. He experienced the shalom of God through Jesus Christ, and it changed everything for him. And I love what Jesus says to Thomas in verse 29. Jesus says to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know who Jesus is talking about here? He's talking about you and me. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. The, the word blessed there that Jesus uses, that's shalom. Jesus says the shalom of God is with those of you who don't see, who don't get to physically see Jesus and yet still believe based on the testimonies of him. You know, when you think about that, friends, we might not have the same privilege as the apostles and Thomas of seeing the resurrected Lord and touching his wounds. But every single one of us here this morning have the proofs of his resurrection, testified to in Scripture and evidenced throughout history. If you've never looked into the claims of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you to do that. We have a number of past sermons in our, in our archives on our website where I've shared some of that evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's very compelling. But Jesus says, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. This is what John is getting at in verses 30 and 31 when he closes the section. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. I mean, think about that, right? Like, what didn't he tell us? I mean, I want to know what these other signs were, right? John's given us seven signs in his gospel. Forty messages we've had so far. We've seen seven miracles of Jesus culminating in his resurrection. And John says there were many others. But then he says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And Jesus says, you will be blessed. Friends, are you looking for peace today? Do you desire to experience the shalom of God in your life? It's possible if you'll look to Jesus Christ. It's possible when you trust in what he did for us on the cross, allowing us to be restored into the shalom of God through his shed blood and the forgiveness of our sins. This is why Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace, because he is our resurrected Savior and King. He is our Lord. He is the one who can provide true peace in all circumstances, no matter what you go through, no matter your trials, your tribulations, your heartache. When you stand in the presence of Jesus, gaze upon him, you too can experience the shalom of God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for 
these powerful words of peace that are promised to all of us who trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Jesus, we thank you for what you did for us on the cross and through your resurrection, which allowed us to once again experience the reality of your perfect peace. Wholeness, fullness, reconciliation, well-being, blessing, all of those things that you promised to those who trust in you. And we thank you, Lord, that you came to provide a way. And Jesus, I just pray if there's anybody here this morning who hasn't trusted in you as the Prince of Peace. Maybe there's somebody here today or watching online this morning and, 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 and the storms of life are raging around them and the circumstances in this world today are just beating them down and, and burdening them with anxiety and fear and frustration. And, and Jesus, you are there right now. You are here right now in our midst declaring peace be with you. Look upon me. Stand in my presence experience the shalom of God that comes through a relationship with me. Jesus, I pray that no one here would miss out on that perfect peace that's found in a relationship with you. I pray that if there's anyone here who longs for that peace, that even right now, in the quiet of their heart, they might say a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Restore me into the perfect peace of a relationship with God. I trust you, Jesus. I believe in you. I confess that you are our risen Savior and King. And now, Lord, I look to you for the perfect shalom, the perfect peace of God. Thank you, Jesus, that you've promised us that when we trust in you, we can count on that perfect peace. And I pray that every single one of us would experience that this morning and that as we go away from here today and into our lives this week, that we would go carrying the good news that shalom is possible to the world around us, to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers, our neighbors, that we would be agents of your shalom. Thank you for giving us this great calling and thank you for empowering us with your spirit to live it out. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I'm gonna invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. It comes from the book of Jude, verses one and two. Now to those who are called Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you, friends. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here. And I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.